right, this morning we're going to look in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, so we have gone with the nation of Israel all the way uh, from in Genesis uh, through the whole Pentateuch when we come into Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch means five books. And uh, this is the what the Jews call the, the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. And uh, they're written by Moses. They're a history of the nation of Israel and how God developed them and then uh, sent them into captivity down, sent them into bondage, I guess, down in Egypt, and then brought them out with a great deliverance. And so uh, these books are very, uh, very instructive for us, uh, to whom we live under the new covenant, but the new covenant was based upon the old covenant that was given to Israel that we find in, in these books. The very first phrase that may not be on the screen uh, said that these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness of the plain. So they've come after 40 years of, of travail in the wilderness. They've come back uh, to the entrance to the promised land. If you remember the first time they came, they came up from the south and uh, they were afraid to go in. They wouldn't listen to the Lord. So now they go back in the wilderness and uh, they dwell the next 38 years. And that whole generation, over 20 years old, passed away in the wilderness. And now they've come back again. But now they've come up to the east of the Jordan River and opposite Jericho, which is on the west of the Jordan River. And they're making preparation to go into the land. Let me remind you that Aaron has died, Miriam has died, God's told Moses he's going to die. Uh, because, and then when we get to Deuteronomy, Moses gives a series of sermons. So he's, he's given his swan song. He's saying to the nation, this is who we are, this is where we've been, this is what we are, this is what God has done, this is what God's doing, and this is where you're going. And uh, so he, he lays it out for them in Deuteronomy. And we're not going to read through the, through the whole book. It'll be the rest of the year. But we're going to touch highlights as we go through and, and look at what he has to say. Because and, and, a lot of it, Deuteronomy means the second law. It's, that's what the word itself means. And so the second law. So this is the second giving of what's happened to the nation of Israel. It's the second giving of the, of the moral law, the Ten Commandments. It's the second giving of a lot of the ceremonial law that God had given to them. And we've covered a lot of that, and, and we're not going to go in depth in any of it, maybe just touch on it. We're just going to touch some highlights as we go through. But this is a very important book. Even though we're going to skim it, and we're going to go from a, and get a bird's eye view as we go through it, uh, but it's very important. It, it, this book is quoted 80 times in the New Testament. And in fact, when Jesus was tempted in his temptation, and he responded to the devil three different times, you find that, I think, in, in Matthew's Gospel, and, but he quoted the book of Deuteronomy. And so this is a very important book. This is, a, this is condensation of the other four books that have gone in a repeat those other four books. You think, I, I don't know if I like repetition, but Second Peter first, uh, one, Second Peter one twelve says this, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Uh, 
I need to be reminded that uh, I, I don't stand on my works. I stand on the grace of God, and uh, it is by His pleasure that I breathe His air and live on His world, and, uh, that, and then much less the privilege of teaching His Word or speaking His Word. But, but we are the children of God, uh, and we were saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we need, to remi- we need reminders of that. I've been a Christian for 50 years, and I can become very complacent. I, I don't know about you. I can, I, I can get to the place that I don't think I need to pray. I don't, think, I, don't, I, I don't think I need to study. I don't think I need to uh, spend time with the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but can you identify with that? We get to the place that we're, we just coast if we're not careful, and this is what Moses is saying to these people is that you, he's saying to them, you have a history with God like no other people, and you cannot, you cannot neglect that. You cannot forget that. You cannot take it for granted. You're going to go into this land and fight battles, spiritual battles, because it's a land of idolatry. You're going to fight physical battles because it is a land of people who are going to be against you. But you need to remember that God is, is your, your God. He brought you to this place. So that's what you need to remember. So that's what we find in Deuteronomy. So here's the first sermon. And, and chapter 1 through 4 is the first sermon. We may not get to chapter 4 this morning and may do that next week. But we want to just start in, in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Moses reminds them of, of their disobedience or that of their fathers uh, when they refused to enter into the land. And again, we're not going to read a lot of this, but just touch upon the highlights. Uh, he wants them to remember. So now think, this is a new generation. Their fathers had passed away. All of those who refused to enter the land once before and believed God. They passed away, but now he's speaking to the children, and he's, he's reminding them of the, sins, of the sins of their fathers. And, it, and he's saying, I want you to have, here's what he's saying to them, I want you to go forward, I want you to have courage, and, and don't forget what happened when your fathers didn't. And that's basically what he's saying. Look at verse 21 of chapter 1. He said, look, the Lord your God has set the land before you, go up and possess it, As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me. Oh, no, okay, let me give you a context. He's speaking to them about what their fathers did, okay? He's speaking to them about what happened 38 years ago. And he's saying, I said to your fathers, look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. The Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you who, who came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let us search them out, search, and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us by the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we should come. The plan pleased me well, so I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed, etc., etc. We know that story. We, we studied that story. You know, the problem is we're getting some hindsight now. You remember when we read that, when we read that when it was happening in Exodus, we didn't read that it was the people who did it. 
We didn't read that it was the people who came to Moses and said, this is our plan. You remember back then, God had said to them, this is your land. This is, the, this is what I promised you. This is what I'm giving to you. Now go up and possess it. And now we're reading here with a little hindsight. We're looking behind the scenes. Moses is revealing to us what actually happened. Is that the people said, we want someone to go spy out the land. We're not going to take God's word for it. Basically is what they're saying. We're, we're not going to go on his word alone. We want some more information. We want some spies to go and we want them to go into the land and look at it and look at the people and look at the circumstances and see if it's something that we can do. And Moses admitted he thought it was good. He went along with that. But if you remember, God had already said to them, this is the land I'm giving to you, you're going to possess it. And, and they had the same nature we have. They were a little frightened about the prospect. I, you know, I'm not, it's hard for us to live by faith, isn't it? It's just hard to live by faith. Um, it, it's just difficult because sometimes we face things, with, it's easier that if we just could go along with our boss or go along with, uh, the world, go along with the church, go along with the culture. It's just easier to do that than stand against it and live by faith and say, no, I belong to God. He is my sovereign. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to obey Him. I, I'm going I'm to discipline my life in obedience to His Word and walk with Him and walk against the tide of the culture. And it's just difficult to do that sometimes. It's difficult for me, probably is for you. So we have this hindsight look. Fear of the future is common to all of us. Um, I, had a, I had a friend that used to be in the church here, and he texted me this week, and he, he, said, uh, I, I've been, he said, I've been praying. He said, I've been looking at my past life and the history, and I look at the sin in my life, and I remember that God forgiven me and brought me to this place. And he said, Sometimes I feel a little guilty about things I've done and where I've gone, what I've done. And he said, but I remember that the Lord forgave me. And he said, I look at the, at the future of our world, our culture, our, our country. He said, I get so discouraged. He said, then I try to remember that by God's grace, I'm here today. And he said, and so that encourages me. God's still faithful. He encourages me. And I, I, I wrote him, texted him back and just said, you know, that encourages me. I think the same way. Uh, I, I pray sometimes before I get out of bed, uh, Psalm 71, Lord, don't forsake me in my old age. And you know why? Because we get to thinking about what's going to happen in our old age. It's happening to us. Our now, I hope you're one of the younger people in our class. You're, you're one of this generation. You're going to last after us. You're going to last after me. And I, I hope that's true. So this is not a blanket statement to all of us. But... Uh, Sometimes, you know, as you get older, you just think about, okay, I can count the years. I don't take the paper anymore because I started reading obituaries, and it's depressing. They're all younger than, they're all younger than me. And many of us in this class, many of you have lost loved ones, lost spouses, and uh, I don't mean to make, take that lightly. Or, but so, see, we can fear the future. That's our, that's our human nature. We don't know what the future holds 
And we can, we can fear that. We can say, what, what will I be doing in five years from now or ten years from now? What will our world be like? What will our culture be like? What will my grandkids have to face? And so we can fear the future. But you know, God's in the future, same as He is today, same as He was in the past. He has a plan. He's carrying out His plan. It's a wonderful plan. It's a, it is a detailed plan that He's given to us in Scripture. He chose these people of Israel to bring forth the Word of God, to bring forth the Son of God, to bring forth salvation. We read in Romans chapter 3 that He put forth His Son to be a propitiation for the sins of the world. In the Old Covenant, He overlooked those sins, let them drift until they came to the time of Christ, and without judging them for those sins. And then in our time, we look, we look to the propitiation of the blood of Christ, and He forgives us our sins. So it's the same God throughout all of history. And He has this wonderful plan, and we're, we're studying this plan. And those people were part of the plan. We're a part of the plan today. We're still a part of this very same plan as we, we look here. And so we don't have to fear the future. We just simply have to say, God, I trust you. I'm going to trust you. I want to trust you. I'm going to work hard at trusting you. I'm going to preach to myself. I'm going to grasp my fearful thoughts and cover them with the Word of God. Uh, Many of you, when I've counseled you, and I do this for myself, uh, when I've counseled you when you're going through trials, I've told you, you you can't empty your mind. You, you You can't stop thinking about the negative things in your life or the trial in your life or, and, and being fearful about what's going to happen, what's going to happen, and we can't stop that. What you can do, is, is, see, and the New Testament tells us, think on these things. Think on these things that are pure, lovely, good report, the things of Christ. So what you do is that you cover that fear with the promise of God. Jesus said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. And if, you, if that's the only phrase you know, keep repeating it. You cover that fear with the, with the promise of God. <clears throat> and this is what Moses is telling these people to do. You know, it's interesting. God had just defeated 38 years before when these people refused to believe in him. They'd been in, they'd been in this journey two years from the time they left Egypt. And they, God had defeated one of the most powerful nations ever on the face of the earth. Egypt, was, at that point in time, was one of the most powerful nations ever on the face of the earth, and God had defeated them. They had come out unscathed, come out wealthy, and come out without any issue, and, and they'd already forgotten it. Two years had gone by, and they'd already forgotten it. And we do the same thing. Um, how, how sad that is. So he said these things to them and said, let us send out these men and then he, verse 24, they departed and went up. Uh, we read this in verse 26. And he said, nevertheless, you would not go up. Nevertheless. Nevertheless of what? Nevertheless of the word of God. God said, go up and take the land. And they, nevertheless, they wouldn't go up. You know why? Because 10, 10 of the spies, not Caleb, not Joshua, but 10 of the spies said, 
It's scary up there. There's scary people up there. They're giants. We're grasshoppers. We can't do it. And he said, nevertheless, you didn't go up. God had said go up, and they didn't go up. Now, when you get to chapter 2, um, they've come back. Now, he's been speaking to them about the past. Now, in chapter 2, they're back uh, waiting at the boundary of, of, the, of the river to go in. And uh, verse 4 through 12, God instructs them concerning the first three nations they're going to encounter. I'm not going to read that passage, but I'm just going to tell you about it. God. God spoke to them about these three nations, that you're not, you're not going to, you're going to go through these nations, and you have the money to buy food, but you're not going to plunder them. You're not going to fight against them. And here's what he said, because I gave them their territory. It was Moab, it was Seir, so here's the descendants of Esau, and he's saying to them, I gave them their territory. God is saying, and you know what it teaches us? It teaches us that God's not just the God of us Baptists. You know, he's the God of people who may not interpret the scripture exactly like we do. He, he's the God of people who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I mean, that's the core truth uh, for salvation. But they don't have to interpret it like we do exactly. They don't have to have the same order of schedule that we have. They don't have to do things exactly the way we do. He's saying that I gave these nations their land. And you know, when I read that, I'm thinking, okay, God chose Abraham to make the nation of Israel out of Abraham. And we're going to read later in Deuteronomy, he says very clearly, I didn't choose you because you're a great nation, because you were not a nation. He chose Abraham. And out of Abraham, he made them into a great nation. And so, but he's saying, I care about the other nations. I care about the people who are not like you. When we come to the New Testament, Jesus said to his disciples that I have sheep of other flock. That's not exactly how I said it, but that's a good paraphrase. But I have sheep that are not of this flock, is what he's saying to them. You know, the disciples became very uh, introspective, very protective of their authority, their position. You remember they argued among themselves, who's going to be the greatest and they were thinking, there's nobody like us. Uh, if you don't go along with us, you, you're no one. And you remember that had already happened in Moses' ministry. There were two men who didn't come to the meeting when he called them, and yet they prophesied in the camp. You remember when he looked at that? And someone came to Moses and said, those guys are prophesying in the camp. You need to rebuke them. And Moses said, I wish every single person prophesied. I wish every single person prophesied. Spoke the word of God. That's what he's talking about. And, you know, so I need to learn that I'm, I mean, I'm a Baptist through and through. I mean, I'm a Christian first, but I'm a Baptistic Christian because I believe that's correct theology. And not because I got saved as a Baptist, but because even studying, that's correct theology. And, and, and maybe we don't have it perfect. Uh, I'm not saying we do, but but I think it's correct. But it doesn't mean that everyone else is wrong and no one else can know Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to. Now, if you get people who are off into craziness, um, I'm, you know, you see a lot of it you see on television. Now, I'm against that because it confuses the issue. But we're talking about people who believe in Christ and 
people who believe the core truth. I don't know if you remember when we studied theology, and, 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 and he, we even did it in the class, but we did it as a church years ago. There, there's concentric circles. There's core truth. Right in the middle is that Jesus is virgin born. He died, buried, rose again. That's core truth. And he's the only way of salvation. There's no other name given in heaven whereby you must be saved. That's core truth. The next layer of truth is about uh, maybe the Trinity, to understanding the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You don't have to understand that to be saved. I, I didn't, and I, I, I got saved because I believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So that's the next concentric circle. That's core truth. But I think the next core truth would be that God established us to be a part of a church. We're to be a part of a local assembly. Now, it doesn't have to have Baptist over the name. But we're together together, and when you come together on a Sunday, that's when you break the bread. We're, we're to do that, so that's core truth. And then the next, the, the next circle out from that would be church order. We're to observe the Lord's Supper and uh, baptism, so that's church order. And then you go out from that, and there are other things. We're to have a deacon board, you know, we're to have leadership, we're to have church order, and then you go out from that, and you begin to have preferences. And the preferences would include, how do you do Bible classes? You know, do you have small groups? Do you have bigger groups like this? Do you do, that's preference. What kind of music do you sing? That's preference. How, how do you dress when you go to church? That's preference. And preference is not theology. Okay, preference doesn't make us spiritual. <clears throat> My wife always looks at me and tells me whether my shirt goes with my pants or my jacket goes with my shirt, and I, I tell her, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> so, you know, that's preference. And then she always tells me, I care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's interesting. What we need to remember that God has people throughout the world. And uh, I, now you can't, have, you can't have bad core theology and be God's people. You're not God's people. But so he cares about the nations. He gave these nations their land and he said to Israel, don't touch them. You're not taking their land. Don't touch them. They, they are my, my people. Do you ever think about, you know, we think sometimes when I'm talking with an unbeliever, they want to use argument about, what about the masses of people? And they, they always think the other parts of the world. There's a lot of unbelievers in the U.S. They don't talk about them. They talk about the people in third world countries. What about those mass unbelievers? Does, does God not care about them? Do you ever think about, when you read the book of Job, which is the oldest recorded history in the Bible, Job worshiped. Job offered sacrifices. Job's four friends offered sacrifices. They all knew what to do. Cain and Abel knew what to do. When, when you go to the Ninevites, and these were pagan people, and, and, and Jonah goes through there, and he, I mean, these were wicked, wicked, pagan, pagan, very at the, at the extreme. And Jonah goes through there and says, repent, for judgment's coming in 40 days. And then and they, they repented. They, they repented before God and, and survived for another hundred years because they repented. God has his people throughout the world. 
and he reveals himself. And, and so we need, to, we need to remember that. And then we read in chapter 2 and verse 7, God reminds them of his provision. He said, verse 6, he said, you'll buy food from them with money. That's his area. I didn't put it on the notes of the screen. But they had money. After 40 years in the wilderness, they still had money. They had money to buy provision. Why? Because God had provided food for them during all that time and every need that they had. And then verse 7, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. Say so that God, even during this time, when that generation, that older generation was dying off, God had been with them. They, haven't, they hadn't spent the 40 years in the desert by themselves. God had been with them. The, 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 the Shekinah glory had been above them during the day in a cloud and in a fire at night. God had been with them all that time and had met every need they had. They had none of these diseases that the nation of Israel had. Their clothes didn't rot off their, off their shoulders. Their sandals didn't rot off their feet. They were provided for all that time. God will do that for us. Now, maybe not in the way we want him to, but he'll do that for us. He will provide for us. And then he makes this statement about the sovereignty over the nations. In verse 24, Rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Anon. Look, I have given into your hand Shehan, the the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And my note here about that is that he is sovereign over all the nations. Whether they believe in him or not, there are nations that he's saying, you leave them alone, they're my people, I've given them the land, they know of me. But then there are nations who do not know of him. You remember when we, when we get to, you know the story of, of Rahab the harlot and Jericho, but one of the things she says to the spies, when we get to that, you're going to hear her say to the spies, when we heard what you did, what your God did through you to, all, to the nations of Og and King Og and Sagan and all those, when she names them, she said, and our heart melted within us. This is what God's saying he's going to do. God's saying, I'm going to put the fear of you and all the nations. They're going to hear about you. And when you go into the land, it doesn't matter if they're giants or not. They're going to be fearful of you because God put that fear in their heart. Now, I'm not saying that we as Christians can go out to people and they have fear. But I'm not saying that God, but God is saying, I am sovereign over all the nations, whether they believe in me or not. You know, he was then, he is now. He still is now. Uh, we're living in interesting times. You know what's interesting about these times we're living in? is because we have instant news. What happened in, uh, what happened in uh, Turkey and uh, Syria and the earthquake, we have instant news. We saw those people being rescued. Out. We've read all the reports about why the buildings collapsed and how, they, how, how there's crookedness and they didn't have great building standards because they wanted 
uh, to get it built for election purposes. We read all that stuff, and we know about we know about the war that's going on in Ukraine. We have instant news, and sometimes when we do that, we begin to think uh, in political terms instead of spiritual terms, and we begin to think that political forces rule the world. And I'm saying to you this morning, they don't. God is the one, the scripture said, raises up kings and he puts down kings. You understand that? And, and he, he's in charge. And he does it for his purposes. And sometimes he raises up kings for the purpose of, of chastisement. Uh, sometimes it's for a future purpose that we can't figure out. That he's laying groundwork for something to happen in the future and makes no sense to us today. We can't find precedent in the scripture, so we don't know what he's doing. But I promise you, he does. He, he, knows, he knows what he's doing. When you listen to the news, don't, don't let it frustrate you, but just say, Lord, I'm glad you're in charge. I'm glad that I can go to bed tonight and sleep and be grateful that I have a place to sleep and that my city's not getting bombed. And uh, I thank you for that, that, and I pray for those people who they are, but this, I'm in your hand. And, and, you know, if we could teach our kids that, our grandkids that, and, and just believe in ourselves, we'd have a lot less anguish about what's going on in our world. We'd have more compassion about what's going on in our world. I'm just going to say this now personally. This is not church. I'm just speaking about personally. If you want to respond to the war effort, if you want to respond with your dollars, I'm talking about, to what's happening in Turkey and Syria, I think the very best place to do it is Samaritan's Purse. And uh, I, I think it's a great organization. They present the gospel. They have a great influence. If you ever listen to Franklin Graham, you know that they are, they are spot on theologically, and, and they do good work. They do good humanitarian work. I think you do it through manna as well, but I'm talking about these, if you, if you want to respond to specific disasters and you don't know what to do, some of you probably give the Red Cross, and I'm sure not against that. Salvation Army, I'm not against that, but if you want to have a direct impact in those areas, give to Samaritan's Purse. I, I think that, and they are one of those organizations under the Evangelical Network of Responsibility or Accountability, so they, it's a good investment of your money. Now again, that was just a personal thing. I don't normally give you personal thing, but uh, sometimes we want to do something, don't we? We watch those things and think, you know, I want to do something. I don't know exactly what to do. We hear those stories. If you give some, some organization, charitable organization, 90% of what you give goes to the, to the organization and about 10% to the, to the need, and Samaritan's Purse is just the opposite. And so uh, I don't know about the percentage, but it's le- maybe less than 10% to the organization and, all, and to the need. Okay, so it makes a statement about sovereignty. Now we come to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is a recap of the taking uh, of the land east of the river Jordan. And you remember it, it's given to the two and a half tribes. We talked about that last week just a little bit. And then it, this is one of the important things in chapter 3. It includes the pleading. Moses gives us a record of him pleading with God about going into the land. That's found in verse 23. 
And here Moses tells us, he gives us insight again, and he says, then I pleaded with the Lord at that time. So, okay, he's given a recap of where they've been, what they've done. And um, so you remember God had told him, you're not going to go into the land, go up on the pinnacle, overlook it, but you're not going to the land. And Moses said, I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains, and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. I was raising my kids. I wish I'd have memorized that scripture. I just said, shut up, you know, probably. It would have been better saying, enough of that. Speak no more of this matter. If you still have kids at home, memorize that. And then give them the scripture reference. How can they argue with that? You know, you're just giving them Bible. How can they argue with that? Well, if they're teenagers, they'll argue. It doesn't matter. So they can argue. It's really interesting. You, you, Moses tells this about himself. Moses is writing this and he's saying, about, I pleaded with God to let me go into the land. I pleaded with God. I pleaded with God about things, haven't you? And sometimes, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. I'm not talking about get it. I'm not talking about something. But maybe the circumstance, sometimes it comes out like we're pleading. Sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes we live with the suffering and we live with the heartache or whatever it might be. And he, he recognized it. He said, uh, the, in verse 12, said, The Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So Moses said, The Lord was angry with me on your account. Uh, and so I think Moses is sharing the blame a little bit here. You know, we go back and read the story. God told him to speak to the rock. And, and, and not smite it. Okay, in their journey, in case you weren't here on those Sundays, early in their journey, they had no water, and God told him to take the rod of Aaron and smite the rock. And he, he, he smote the rock one time the first time. Okay, that's a portrait of Christ being smitten for us. Okay, remember we read in the New Testament, the rock that followed them was Christ. The New Testament tells us that. So he smote the rock and their provision was needed. Okay? And then later they go through the journey and God tells him, speak to the rock and the water will come out. And he goes and he smites the rock. He's angry. We read that. He's angry and in his anger toward the people and their rebellion, he smites the rock twice. See, you don't, you don't smite Christ. Christ's only smitten once. Uh, he, he died once for all, Hebrews tells us, once for all. And it's his shed blood that is forgiveness of sin. And if you don't, Hebrews tells us, if you don't trust that, there is no other provision for salvation. There is no other salvation. And so when Moses smote the rock twice, he did it in anger, and he violated the, the principle that God was given. He violated the illustration God was given and it dishonored God. It dishonored God in the sight of the people. And God said to Moses, 
Uh, you're not going into the land. Now, God's not vindictive, but, but He's just, and he, there is a consequence to sin. He, he forgives us. You know, I, 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 I've never broken an arm. I broke some other bones. I've never broken an arm. But, uh, you know, I, people have said that when that bone knits, it's stronger than it was before. But there's, there's a, if you x-rayed it, if there's the visible break that's still there and maybe the, gr- the bone growth over it. And I've seen x-rays of people who, you know, and here's the interesting thing. When we sin, it always changes our life. Now, we can be forgiven, and we can ask for forgiveness and be forgiven, and that grows over us, I, you know, that bone grows over, and we go on with life, but now life's a little different. Are you with me? And it's still true. It, 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 in the end of our life, it's still true. If I sin today, my life's going to be a little different in my relationship, my walk with God. He will forgive me if I repent. He, he, will, he will continue to bless me because I'm His child. But my life is a little different from then on. Now, <clears throat> if our kids could understand that, and when they're, when they're young, it would help them in a great way about guarding their life. But you know, it's, it's, it's for us as well. We need to guard our lives. Um, there are a lot of us as older Christians, and I'm not talking about older in age, but I'm talking about older in Christ, that, that we take things for granted and we're tempted in, in ways that we never were. We may not be tempted with the things of the flesh, but we're tempted with the things of pride. We're tempted with the things of self more because we become more self-sufficient, more self-complacent. When you were a young, when you were a young person, you were striving to achieve life. You're striving to achieve maybe to buy a car, to buy a house, to get established, or to rent a house, or whatever. So I'm not talking about a level of of, of means. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about we're striving to get established. Maybe striving to get what our kids needed to buy braces or whatever. We're striving to do those things. And you know, when you come now to I'm not speaking for all of you, but generalization for the class. When you come down to our age and you're thinking, you know, I'm not striving toward those things anymore, and my, your, your, our feelings have a tendency to turn inward, that I want what I want. I want what I want. It's not that I'm spending my focus on those things to get established because I'm established. So I want what I want. I want my own peace and quiet. I want my own serenity. I want my own. I, 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 life becomes about me. That's sinful. And God won't allow us to do that. He won't allow us to live there. When we, we belong to Him. Life's about Him. And my response to Him on a daily basis and, and ongoing. I know I'm speaking, about, I'm speaking about things here that are not concrete but they're, they're things that we struggle with. And Moses is at this place, and to give Moses credit, Moses wasn't bitter. Uh, Moses wasn't bitter, and uh, he, he went ahead and established Joshua as lead, in leadership and promoted him in leadership to take his place. 
and uh, was obedient to the Lord. He kept teaching these people, here's what you need to remember, here's what you need not forget, here's what you're going to face, here's how you trust God. He just kept doing it. It's amazing that he had that much grace. And then we need to remember that one day, uh, when Christ comes, and in Christ's flesh, he says to a disciple, how many days here, you're going to see the glory of God. And right after that, he takes with him James and John, I think it was, or Peter and John, and they go up in the Mount of Transfiguration. And remember who appears? Moses and Elijah. Moses in his recognizable form appears because the disciples said, that's Moses. Peter did. Peter said, that's Moses, that's Elijah. Let's build some booths here and stay here. I mean, this is, this is amazing. That's Moses. Now, did Moses have a flesh and blood body yet? I, but the resurrection, the final resurrection hadn't happened. But I don't know. It really doesn't matter. But he appeared and they knew who he was. And he's in the promised land. Okay? So he didn't go in in his old body, but he went in in his, the spirit with, with Christ. And then one day he'll be there in his old body that's been renewed. So even though God said no for this life, he didn't say no eternally. He, he, he blessed him. And we need to remember that. There, there are things that I can't do in this life. There are things I can't be in this life. When, you know, you hear people tell your kid, you can do anything in the world you want to. Oh, that's malarkey. You, you can't. You, you can't do that. You know, you can do more if you try, and you're, you can do better if you try. And, you know, they need to, you need to tell them that. You know, you need to try your very best. Try hardest. Have a goal. Work toward your goal. Do all those things, and, and you, you know, you're going to achieve more. But you can't just because you want it. But, you know, one day, we're going to have it all. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, whatever he has, I have. And you have. And we're going to enjoy it one day. What a, ble- what a blessed time that would be. Okay. We're going to leave chapter 4 till next week. That's the end of the first sermon, and we're going to leave that for, for next week. And it shows over and over the sovereignty of God. It's a great chapter about God himself and him in relationship to the nation of Israel. Here's, here's what I want to leave you with this morning. I, I want to repeat it again. I want you to... God chose Abraham. He made of them this nation. We've gone with them through this journey. They sin. He forgives them. They sin. He forgives them. They sin. He forgives them. They learn of him. They learn of him. They learn of him. And now they're to the place. They're going to trust him. They're going to do it. And you know, we can as well. That's our story. We sin. He forgave us. We sin. He forgave us. One day we came to faith in Christ and we realized He's my Savior. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. He's my Savior. Today we're living in that grace, but now we have this battle of faith. We're fighting the flesh, the world, and the devil. And, And sometimes the flesh conquers us. Sometimes the devil deceives us in our thinking, and sometimes the world attracts us to its allure. But we just keep going back. Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Sovereign. Christ is our Lord. What does He say? How is He guiding me? What, what does He want from me? 
And, and they're our pattern, and our pattern, and we're going to see it really come fruitation in chapter 4, is that he talks about their future. He, he, he's been reviewing their past, but now he's going to talk about their future. And, and we have a future in Christ as well, and it's a wonderful future. That's where we're going next Sunday. Lord willing, pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the nation of Israel being our example. And Lord, the challenge you gave us in 1 Corinthians 10 to pay attention to them, that the same sin doesn't befall us, uh, Lord, whom these latter times have come upon. And so help us to learn from them and, and, and Lord, to honor you with our lives, to trust you with all of our heart, uh, to exalt you as you lead us to live by faith. Uh, Lord, uh, calm, calm our fears, and uh, Lord, help us uh, to be obedient and uh, step by step, day by day, and we'll praise you for it and give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen. Well, God bless you. We'll see you in church.